chapter two of the wheat princess by jean webster this librivox recording is in the public domain a carriage rumbled into the stone-paved courtyard of the palazzo rosicorelli a good twenty minutes before six o'clock the next evening and the copleys descended and climbed the stairs at peace with villa vivalanti and its thirty miles though it was still light out of doors inside the palace with its deep embrasured windows and heavy curtains it was already quite dark as they entered the long salon the only light in the room came from a seven-branch candlestick on the tea-table which threw its reflection upon gerald's white sailor suit and little bare knees as he sat solemnly in a carved savonarola chair at the sound of their arrival he wriggled down quickly and precipitated himself against mrs copley oh mamma sybert came to tea and i made it and he said it was lots better than marcia's tea and he drank seven cups and i drank four a chorus of laughter greeted this revelation and a lazy voice called from the depths of an easy-chair oh i say gerald you mustn't tell such shocking tales or your mother will never leave me alone with the tea-things again and the owner of the voice pulled himself together and walked across the room to shake hands with the newcomers lawrence sybert as he advanced toward his hostess threw a long thin shadow against the wall he had a spare dark clean-shaven face with deep-set sullen eyes he was delightfully perfected type of the cosmopolitan it would have taken a second or very possibly a third glance to determine his nationality but if the expression of his face were italian oriental anything you please his build was undoubtedly anglo-saxon further a certain wiriness beneath his movements proclaimed him to any one familiar with the loose-hung riders of the plains unmistakably american your son slanders me mrs copley he said as he held out his hand i didn't drink but six upon my honour hello sybert anything happened in rome to-day what's the news on the rialto was mr copley's greeting marcia regarded him with a laugh as she drew off her gloves and lighted the spirit lamp we've been away since nine this morning and here's uncle howard thirsting for news already what he will do when we really get out of the city i can't imagine oh and so you've taken the villa have you marcia nodded and you should see it it looks like a papal palace this is the first time that prince vivalanti has ever consented to rent it to strangers it's his official seat very condescending of him the young man laughed and do you accept his responsibilities along with the place from the fattori's account i should say that his responsibilities rest but lightly on the prince of vivalanti ah uh, that's true enough do you know him only by hearsay i know the village and a more desperate little place it would be hard to find in all the sabine hills the people's love for their prince is tempered by the need of a number of improvements which he doesn't supply i dare say they are pretty poor she conceded but they are unbelievably picturesque every person there looks as if he just walked out of a water-colour sketch even uncle howard was pleased and he has lived here so long that he is losing his enthusiasms it's a pretty decent sort of a place copley agreed though i have a sneaking suspicion that we may find it rather far but the rest of the family liked it and my aim in life nonsense uncle howard you know you were crazy over it yourself you signed the lease without a protest didn't he aunt catherine i signed the lease my dear marcia at the point of the pistol the point of the pistol you threatened if we got a mile 
an inch i believe you said nearer rome you would give a party every day and if that isn't the point of a pistol to a poor worn-out man like me i don't know what is it would certainly seem like it sybert agreed and turning to marcia he added i am afraid that you rule with a very despotic hand miss marcia marcia's eyebrows went up a barely perceptible trifle but she laughed and returned no indeed mr sybert you are mistaken there it is not i but gerald who plays the part of despot in the copley household at this point granton mrs copley's english maid appeared in the doorway marietta is waiting to give master gerald his supper she announced gerald fled to his mother and raised a cry of protest mamma please let me stay up to dinner with you to-night for a moment mrs copley looked as if she might consent but catching sight of granton's relentless face she returned no my dear you have had enough festivity for one evening you must have your tea and go to bed like a good little boy gerald abandoned his mother and entrenched himself behind sybert cause sybert's here and i like sybert he wailed desperately but granton stormed even this fortress come master gerald your supper's getting cold and she laid a firm hand on his shoulder and marched him away there's the real despot laughed copley i tremble before granton myself pietro appeared with a plate of toasted muffins and the evening mail mr copley settled himself in a wicker chair with a pile of letters on the arm at his right and as he ran his eyes over them one by one he tore them in pieces and formed a new pile at his left they were begging letters for the most part he received a great many and this was his usual method of answering them not that he was an ungenerous man it was merely a matter of principle with him not to be generous in this particular way as he sat disposing of envelope after envelope with vigorous hands copley's appearance suggested a series of somewhat puzzling contrasts seriousness and humour sensitiveness and force an active impulse to forge ahead and accomplish things a counter-impulse to shrug his shoulders and wonder why he was a puzzle to most of his friends at times even one to his wife but she had accepted his eccentricities along with his millions and though she did not always understand either his motives of his actions she made no complaint to most men a fortune is a blessing to copley it was rather in the nature of a curse he might have amounted to almost anything had he had to work for it but for the one field of activity which a fortune in america seems to entail upon its owner that of entering the arena and doubling and tripling it he was singularly unfitted both by temperament and inclination in this he differed from his elder brother and there was one other point in which the two were at variance though their father had been in the eyes of the law a just and upright man still in the battle of competition many had fallen that he might stand and the younger son had grown up with the knowledge that from a humanitarian standpoint the money was not irreproachable he had the feeling which his brother characterized as absurd that with his share of the fortune he would like in a measure to make it up to mankind howard copley's first move in the game of benefiting humanity had been not very originally an attempt at solving the negro problem but the negroes were ever a leisurely race and copley was a man impatient for results he finally abandoned them to the course of evolution and engaged in a spasmodic orgy of east side politics becoming disgusted and failing of an election he looked aimlessly about for a further object in life it was at this point that mrs copley breathlessly suggested a year in paris for the sake of gerald's french the child was only four but one could not as she justly pointed out 
begin the study of the languages too early her husband apathetically consenting they embarked for paris by the roundabout route of the mediterranean landed in naples and there they stayed he had found a fascinating occupation ready to his hand that of helping on the work of good government in this still turbulent portion of united italy after a year the family drifted to rome and settled themselves in the piano nobile of the palazzo rosicorelli with something of an air of permanence copley was at last thoroughly contented he had no racial prejudices and rome was as fair a field of reform as new york and infinitely more diverting if the italians did not always understand his motives still they accepted his services with a fair show of gratitude as for mrs copley she had by no means intended their sojourn to be an emigration but she reflected that her husband had to be amused in some way and that reforming italian posterity was perhaps an harmless a way as he could have devised she settled herself very contentedly to the enjoyment of the somewhat shifting foreign society of the capital with only an occasional plaintive reference to her friends in new york and to gerald's french marcia leaning back in her chair watched her uncle dispose of his correspondence with a visible air of amusement he had a thin nervous face traced with fine lines a sharply cut jaw and a mouth which twitched easily into a smile to-night however as he ripped open envelope after envelope he frowned oftener than he smiled and presently as he unfolded one letter he suppressed a quick exclamation of anger read that he said shortly tossing it to the other man sybert perused it with no visible change of expression and leaning over he dropped it into the open grate marcia laughed outright your mail doesn't seem to afford you much satisfaction uncle howard a large share of it's anonymous and not all of it's polite that is what you must expect if you will hound those poor old beggars to death the two men shot each other a look of rather grim amusement the letter in question had nothing to do with beggars but mr copley had no intention of discussing its contents with his niece i find that the usual reward of virtue in this world is an anonymous letter he remarked shrugging the matter from his mind and settling himself comfortably to his tea the guest refused the cup proffered him i haven't the courage he declared after gerald's revelations by the way sybert said copley i have been hearing some bad stories about you to-day my niece doesn't like to have me associate with you marcia looked at her uncle helplessly when he once commenced teasing there was no telling where he would stop i am sorry said sybert humbly what is the trouble she has found out that you are an anarchist both men laughed and marcia flushed slightly please miss marcia sybert begged give me time to get out of the country before you expose me to the police there's no cause for fear she returned i didn't believe the story when i heard it for i knew that you haven't energy enough to run away from a bomb much less throw one that's why it surprised me that other people should believe it but most people have a better opinion of me than you have he expostulated no indeed mr sybert i have a better opinion of you than most people i really consider you harmless the young man laughed and bowed his thanks while he turned his attention to mrs copley i hope that villa vivalanti will prove more successful than the one in naples mrs copley looked at him reproachfully that horrible man i never think of him without wishing we were safely back in america then please don't think of him her husband returned he is where he won't trouble you any more what man asked marcia 
emerging from a dignified silence is it possible miss marcia has never heard of the tattooed man sybert inquired gravely the tattooed man what are you talking about it has a somewhat theatrical ring mr copley admitted it is nothing to make light of said his wife it's a wonder to me that we escaped with our lives three years ago while we were in naples she added to her niece your uncle with his usual recklessness got mixed up with one of the secret societies our villa was out toward posilipo and one afternoon i was driving home at about dusk i had been shopping in the city and just as we reached a lonely place in the road between two high walls mr copley broke in a masked man armed to the teeth sprang up in the path with a horrible oath not really marcia cried leaning forward delightedly aunt catherine did a masked man he wasn't masked but i wish he had been he would have looked less ferocious he came straight to the side of the carriage and taking off his hat with a very polite bow he said that unless we left naples in three days your uncle's life would no longer be safe his shirt was open at the throat and there was a crucifix tattooed upside down on his breast you can imagine what a desperate character he must have been here in italy of all places where the people are so religious the two men laughed at the climax what did you do marcia asked i was too shocked to speak and gerald poor child screamed all the way home and did you leave the city as it happened we were leaving anyway her uncle put in but we postponed our departure long enough for me to hunt the fellow down and put him in jail you may be thankful that they had the decency to warn you sybert remarked it's like a dime novel marcia sighed to be mixed up with murders and warnings and tattooed men and secret societies why didn't you send for me uncle howard well you see i didn't know that you had grown up into such a charming person though i am not sure that it would have made any difference i had all that i could do to take care of one woman that's the way she complained just because one's a girl one is always shut up in the house while there's anything exciting going on if you are so fond of bloodshed sybert suggested you may possibly have a chance of seeing some this spring this spring is the camorra making trouble again oh no not the camorra but unless all signs fail there is a prospect of some fairly exciting riots really here in rome well no probably not in rome there are too many soldiers more likely in the neapolitan provinces i am sorry he added since you seem to find them so entertaining that we can't promise you a riot on your own doorstep but i dare say when it comes to the point you'll find naples near enough i give you fair warning uncle howard she said if there are any riots in naples i'm going down to see them what is the trouble what are they writing about if there are any riots said her uncle you my dear young lady will amuse yourself at villa vivalanti until they are over and he abruptly changed the subject the talk drifted back to the villa again mrs copley afforded their guest a more detailed description nineteen bedrooms aside from the servants quarters and room in the stable for thirty horses she finished the princes of vivalanti must have kept up an establishment in their pre-riviera days mustn't they agreed marcia cordially the new villa was proving an unexpectedly soothing topic we'll keep up an establishment too she added we're going to give a house-party when the roystons come down from paris and i know what we'll do we'll give a ball for my birthday won't we uncle howard and have everybody out from rome 
and the ilex grove all lighted with coloured lamps not if i have anything to say about it said mr copley but you won't have said marcia the only reason that i consented to take this villa was that i thought it was far enough away to escape parties for a time you said i said if you got nearer rome we'd give a party every day while as it is i'm only planning one party for all the three months sybert and i won't come to it he grumbled perhaps you and mr sybert won't be invited i don't know where you'll find two such charming men said mrs copley rome's full of them returned marcia imperturbably who are the roystons miss marcia sybert inquired they are the friends i came over with last fall you know mr dessart the artist yes i know him well mrs royston is his aunt and she has two daughters who are his cousins suggested mr copley yes to be sure and very charming girls they spend a great deal of time over here at least mrs royston and eleanor do margaret has been in college and mr royston asked copley stays in america and attends to his business yes mrs royston and eleanor go over quite often to keep him from getting lonely very generous of them sybert laughed they've spent winters in cairo and vienna and paris and a lot of different places pursued marcia eleanor she added ruminatingly has been out nine seasons and she has had a good deal of experience dear dear said her uncle and you are proposing to expose all rome she's very attractive said marcia and then she glanced at sybert and laughed if she should happen to take a fancy to you mr sybert the young man rose to his feet and looked about for his hat goodness he murmured what would she do there's no telling marcia regarded him with a speculative light in her eyes a young woman who has been practising for nine seasons certainly ought to have her hand in copley agreed perhaps after all sybert it is best we should not meet her sybert found his hat and paused for a moment you can't frighten me that way miss marcia he said with a shake of his head i have been out thirteen seasons myself End of chapter two